Welcome to another UK Column podcast. I'm Mark Anderson, U.S. Correspondent for UK Column News. And this podcast refers to an article that is or is about to be posted at ukcolumn.org. And that article is 19 U.S. Attorneys General Fed Up with BlackRock's Brazen Efforts to Function as a Private Government. And as I note in this article, a close reading of a letter from 19 U.S. states that takes investment giant BlackRock to task for putting its environmental, social, and governance goals ahead of the best possible investment returns for American citizens reveals that BlackRock, which along with Vanguard and State Street is one of the big three in the index fund management field, is literally setting policy and governing the world, in effect, in key ways, as clearly spelled out by the attorneys general from the following states, 19 of them, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Ohio, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. Notably, this matter was first reported on the August 5, 2022 broadcast of UK Column News by Alex Thompson of Eastern Approaches. This article that I'm referring to, and by extension this podcast, provide more details on the reality of private governance in our modern world, which is craftily portrayed as seeking dialogue by BlackRock in this particular case. But we're really looking at the way it circumvents or even usurps government action by elected legislators. And that's not just me talking. The Attorney's General letter, eight pages, was collectively sent to BlackRock's CEO, and that's Lawrence D. Fink, or Larry Fink, on August 4, 2022. The letter represents a significant revelation of BlackRock's meddlesome machinations. Signed by these 19 AGs, this letter does not mince words. In fact, its second paragraph states as follows. Quote, Based on the facts currently available to us, BlackRock appears to use the hard-earned money of our state's citizens to circumvent the best possible return on investment, as well as their vote. BlackRock's past public commitments indicate that it has used citizens' assets to pressure companies to comply with international agreements, such as the Paris Climate Agreement, that force the phase-out of fossil fuels, increase energy prices, drive inflation, and weaken the national security of the United States. Some pretty serious words here. The AGs go on to say, and this is important, these agreements have never been ratified by the United States Senate. The senators elected by the citizens of this country determine which uh, treaties will take effect, not BlackRock. In fact, they say the U.S. Senators will determine which international agreements have the force of law, and that's not up to BlackRock, to put it more precisely. And the 19 Attorneys General go on to say, we have several additional concerns that fall under our jurisdictional authority as Attorneys General. The AG's letter also notes that Mark McComb, who's BlackRock's chief client officer, recently wrote to several U.S. states to describe BlackRock's, quote, position on energy investments with respect to state pension funds. Mr. McComb's letter contains many statements that appear to conflict with BlackRock's previous public statements and commitments. And while McComb's letter claimed that BlackRock is 
supposedly neutral on energy questions, and simply offers clients a range of energy sector investment options, these leading attorneys general aren't buying it, saying that the neutrality claim of BlackRock, quote, differs considerably from BlackRock's public commitments, which indicate that BlackRock has already committed to accelerate so-called net zero emissions across all of its assets, regardless of client wishes. BlackRock joined the Net Zero Managers Alliance, which, among other things, directs members to, quote, acknowledge that there is an urgent need to accelerate the transition toward global net zero emissions and for asset managers to play our part to help deliver the goals of the Paris Agreement. Notice the active words there, accelerate the transition and help deliver the goals of the Paris Agreement. And that is a pact which, according to the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions, entered into force November 4, 2016, Other countries have continued to become parties to the Paris Agreement as they complete their domestic approval procedures. And as of January 2021, 190 parties have ratified the Paris Agreement. Then on January 20, 2021, President Biden signed an executive order to rejoin the Paris Agreement. And that was done in the wake of then-President Trump's June First, 2017 announcement of his administration's intention to withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Agreement. So while Biden may entertain delusions to the contrary, no president, no president, excuse me, can actually ratify a treaty with an executive order. That is the sole domain of the Senate, and certainly not of BlackRock in any way, shape, or form, directly or indirectly, as these 19 attorneys general very aptly and clearly pointed out. And it's interesting to note that as far as can be determined at this August 22nd, 2022 recording of this podcast, even though Larry Fink of BlackRock was asked to reply to these attorneys general, there is no sign this evening of that having happened yet. However, I did find the annual letter that Larry Fink sent to his fellow CEOs across the investment spectrum. And here's what he had to say. It's been two years since I wrote that climate risk is investment risk. And in that short period, we have seen a tectonic shift of capital. Sustainable investments have now reached $4 trillion. Actions and ambitions toward decarbonization, interesting word, have also increased. This is just the beginning, he writes. The tectonic shift towards sustainable investing is still accelerating. Whether it is capital being deployed into new ventures focused on energy innovation or capital transferring from traditional indexes into more customized portfolios and products, we will see more money in motion. He goes on to say in this letter to his uh, fellow CEOs, every company and every industry will be transformed by the transition to a net zero world. That, That bears repeating. Every company and every industry will be transformed by the transition to a net zero world. The question is, will you lead or will you be led? Fink asks his fellow CEOs. He goes on to say, in a few short years, we have all watched innovators reimagine the auto industry. And today, every car manufacturer is racing toward an electric future. Never mind, Mr. Fink the many and myriad 
mining problems with the raw materials that go into the batteries for this fleet, this huge and growing fleet of electric cars, the mining of lithium and cadmium and many other uh, materials is extremely hazardous and has actually instituted slavery in Central Africa. So there is a major downside not being shared by the Larry Finks of the world and others that so unabashedly call for an all-electric car future. Anyway, Mr. Fink goes on to say, the auto industry, however, is merely on the leading edge. Every sector, he says, every sector will be transformed by new sustainable technology. Is that all bad? I add as a commentary, not necessarily, but the consent of the governed is a difficult thing. And it's not, vi it's not visible there, and that's why these 19 attorneys general, well, that's one of the reasons, at least, that they're so concerned. At any rate, one more thing from Mr. Fink, quote, in his letter, engineers and scientists are working around the clock on how to decarbonize cement, steel, and plastics, shipping, trucking, and aviation, agriculture, energy, and construction, I believe the decarbonizing of the global economy is going to create the greatest investment opportunity of our lifetime. It will also leave behind the companies that don't adapt, regardless of what industry they are in. A very economic Darwinian view here, economic Darwinism, I would add, coming from Mr. Fink slightly dressed up in nice language and rosy images. But anyway, going on to finish his letter, and just as some companies risk being left behind, so do cities and countries that don't plan for the future. Ah, the stakes are getting higher. They risk losing jobs even as other places gain them. The decarbonization of the economy will be accompanied by enormous job creation for those that engage that is, for those that engage in the necessary long-term planning. Another way of saying that is those that don't fully buy the global warming climate change narrative are evidently to be left in the economic ghetto, at least if the Larry Finks of the world have their way. Now, speaking of the Larry Finks of the world, a more of a breaking news item, as I was working on this article that this podcast is about, is the 12 emperors who rule the world. And this comes from none other than the Financial Times. In the Financial Times, which is known as a Bilderberg-connected paper because Martin Wolf, a longtime columnist for the Times, has been a frequent Bilderberg attendee. And Bilderberg is all about, at least in part, the privatization of government. Some would say the governmentalization of corp corporations. But whichever way you look down the telescope, one of the Bilderberg Network's main tasks has been to kind of erase the distinction between public and private and create financial and um, banking and other emperors um, around the world, using the word emperors kind of creatively here, but nevertheless, to have them be sort of the viceroys and emperors of their different regions, and then collectively, they'll rule the world financially first, and then it becomes much more political in nature. Of course, social and, and cultural things get swallowed up in the juggernaut as well. But none other than John Coates, a professor at Harvard Law School, he started out this concern about the 12 emperors who might rule the world, which includes Larry Fink and BlackRock. He started that out in an incendiary 2018 paper entitled 
the problem of 12. And it's certainly noteworthy that even the Financial Times, which is known for championing championing a monetary and financial system that easily creates the conditions that lead to hyper-concentrations of wealth and power in the first place, it's very noteworthy that the Financial Times, given that pedigree, would acknowledge the following about the 12 emperors that Professor John Coates of Harvard Law School began to get into focus with that 2018 paper, again, entitled The Problem of 12. And what the Financial Times said, and this this is a lot for the Times to say this, because again, the Financial Times is the kind of publication that basically thrives in the kind of world that the Larry Finks and others of his stature thrive in. They're made for each other. Nevertheless, Financial Times admitted the following, quote, unless the law changes, the effect of indexation will be to turn the concept of passive investing on its head, and this kind of echoes the 19 attorneys general's concerns, and produce the greatest concentration of economic control in our lifetimes. More fundamentally, the Financial Times added, the rising of indexing presents a sharp general political challenge to corporate law. The prospect of 12 people even potentially controlling most of the economy poses a legitimacy and accountability issue of the first order. Naturally, the investment industry, and above all the biggest index fund giants, have scoffed at this, but the benefits of scale in asset management and passive investing specifically are becoming clearer. So, again, a very big deal for the Financial Times that thrives in the kind of world that has created these 12 emperors to nevertheless say something like that. Now, who are these 12 potential emperors who, at least potentially, could rule the world first financially, then in other ways? They are as follows. Let's get this right, of course. Besides Mr. Fink and BlackRock, the others are Tim Buckley, CEO of Vanguard, Abigail Pierpont Johnson, CEO of Fidelity, Ron O'Hanley, CEO of State Street, Henry Fernandez, Director and CEO of Morgan Stanley, Dan Draper, CEO of SNP Dow Jones, Arnie Stahl, CEO of FTSE Russell slash London Stock Exchange Group, Gary Ritelny, President and CEO of Institutional Shareholder Services, Kevin Cameron, Executive Chairman and Co-Founder of Glass-Lewis, Masataka Mayazono, Head of Japan's $1.5 trillion Government Pension Investment Fund, Nikolai Tangen, who leads Norway's $1.2 trillion Norges Bank Investment Management, and Peng Chong, CEO of the China Investment Corporation, one of the world's largest sovereign wealth funds with $1.2 trillion in assets under management. And the AGs, the attorneys general, have um, uh, expressed very similar concerns, as I noted. And so, thanks for listening to this podcast. I wanted to announce and analyze and and deeply dive into what the attorneys general have been doing and what some of their major concerns are. It's probably, in most respects, Uh, a very welcome thing that they're bringing this into focus and looking out for their U.S.-based investors, given this octopus that's been growing up over the years. And it was called out by Professor Coates 
and called out by the AGs, and of course now being called out by UK Column. So, needless to say, these 12 uber-rich plutocrats potentially control such a vast amount of the world's wealth and thus power, they could easily be called the emperors of the world. And we'll see how things pan out in the weeks and months ahead. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Anderson, UK Columns uh, Correspondent for the U.S. We'll see you next time online.